You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Fly on the Call. Candid Conversations on Music. Today, I am extremely excited to bring you a conversation with vocalist and guitar player Eric Garlington, who along with bassist Natasha Johnson and drummer Eli Watson make up the band Proper. Proper performs a unique brand of punk and emo with influences ranging from hip-hop to progressive metal to R&B. The band recently surprise released their sophomore album, I Spent the Winter Writing Songs About Getting Better, through Big Scary Monsters, and are currently on their first full U.S. tour. Out of the approximately 50 interviews I've conducted over the past five years writing about music, this one truly stands out as a favorite of mine. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Eric of Popper. I'm curious, like, now that the album's out, um, what have you been working on, either, like, personally or professionally? Really just um, trying to get a van, just saving up for that. <laughs> um, I, my license has been suspended since, like, 20, gosh, 2011, 2012, so I'm just now getting all that figured out in time for this tour. And just, really, it's been a whole struggle, because it got revoked in Kansas, and now I live in New York. And I guess in New York, you have to have your own car for the road test. So now I'm, like, trying to find someone with a car and trying to save up the money because it's also not free here like it was when I was 16 years old. So it's just (laughs) really – I don't have any cool answer. I'm just trying to get my privilege to drive back. That's it. Yeah, well, that's uh, definitely a good goal to have. (laughs) It's not bad to be in a band. I I should have thought of that sooner. I feel like that's a pretty, like, high standard to meet to have your own car in order to take it Yeah, out. in New York? Like, who owns a car here? So that's – everyone's just like, I don't own a car. What are you talking about? Like, a lot of my people that are from here are just like, I don't even know how to drive. Like, why would you ask me? <laughs> and then, like, if you had to distill proper down to, like, one mission or, like, statement of your ethos, like, what would that be? Oh. I guess on, on like, all of our bios are very, like, tongue-in-cheek, and it just says NWA. So I guess just that, if I'd, like, to distill it down to our simplest form. Because I was like, oh, you're not going to write, like, anything about your actual selves? I'm like, no. <laughs> this sounds cool and, and mysterious. So it would just be that. That's perfect, yeah. I mean, I mean, once you listen to the music, you pretty much get an idea pretty quickly as well. So I don't yeah, think yeah, it's pretty straightforward much. stuff, Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I was listening to the Sound and Story podcast that you did, and you mentioned how you hadn't wow. seen, uh, hadn't shown it the album to your family yet, but you were going to send it to them like the night before you came out. Um, yeah. As much as you're comfortable sharing, what was like their reaction to it? Oh my God. Okay, so my mom in true mom fashion, like kind of half-ass listened to it, and she was like, I don't, I didn't really hear what you were saying, but like it sounds, it sounds good. It's okay. So I got a pass. That was a freebie. Um, my brothers and my dad was like, okay, I'm listening to it now. And one of my brothers was giving me like a play-by-play, like, oh, song one is great. Song three, this is cool. And then like it got to that song, and then none of them got back to me. So, <laughs> and it's like I'm about to go on tour, and I'm about to like see them in person. So I'm sure like it's just going to be very awkward. And just over some beers, they're just going to tell me how they feel and go from there. But I guess I got off pretty easy. But of course, my family just avoided the conflict like we like we tend to do in our family blood. So I'll, I'll figure it out. Ask me again in a month when I have to actually play the town that they live in. That's that's certainly a way to handle it. I know um, I talked to Virginia a couple months back, and he has like a line on the album that's like saying basically like 
I'm not going to be able to work through stuff until I fight my own dad. And he's like, yeah. I literally, I literally haven't sent it to them, so I guess I'll probably find <laughs> out when uh, they do hear it. Oh, my God. Yeah, virginity fucking rips, by the way. They're great. But, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, same same conflict. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually feel like I don't have a super good handle on, like, the timeline, especially of the suburbs. Um, mm. Could you, like, walk me through a little bit, like, because I know you've been in New York for, like, a couple of years by the time it had come out. So could you walk me through yeah. a little bit of, like, the writing and recording and releasing of both that and then this album, too? Yeah. So I moved here, I think this December will be five years. So four and a half years ago, uh, my wife and I, we came here for, like, 4th of July. I proposed to her. And then we were just like, man, like, nothing compares to this. So, like, five months later, we moved here for good. And I, it took me about two and a half-ish years to, like, find my scene, which was really, it resulted to me, like, on the emo subreddit. It was like, what's your local scene like? And I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't, I, I don't know, I can't find it. And then my friend Jackson was like, oh, man, come to this show. And that, like, introduced me to everyone that I know now. So then from there, uh, I played at one of their houses. They did this thing called No Sweet Session. And I did an acoustic set, and that's when I met Natasha, and she literally was just, like, crying. She's like, if, whatever you need, I will play it. Please tell me you're looking for bandmates. <laughs> so I met her through that. Then Eli, through a friend that lives here, she used to date his cousin when he would come up and visit. And then she was like, oh, yeah, he plays drums, and he's moving here in, like, a month. So, like, the second he moved here, I was like, hey, before anyone even asks you, please be in a band with me. I'll do anything, please. <laughs> so this band was just made through a lot of begging and crying, pretty much. But so that happened. And then... I've always been the type where I like kind of like want to keep everything under wraps until it's like done. So we spent like like eight months me teaching him the songs, and then like us recording, and then uh, I think I just surprise released the whole thing. Oh, okay, I I surprise released the whole, everything. Like I was like surprise, my band is like ready. Here's the band. Here's our first music video. Here's the album. Here's the website. Here's all of our merch. And I just did that, and I kind of flooded like Reddit, Tumblr, Instagram, stuff like that. And then so we did that. And then for, I think, a year and a half, then, I, then we were just like, okay, we've, we're a good trio, we've, we've toured, we've done some stuff, like, so let's start working on the next record. And then just like by chance, Big Scary Monsters hit us up. And it's just like, hey, are you working on another record? Because we'd love to release it. And I was like, yes, actually. I, but like in real reality, we had like talked about it. And then I was like, okay, I'll start <laughs> writing it this week. And then like two months went by. And then I was like, okay, yeah, we'll meet you at our next tour in the U.K., and they're like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, let me hear some stuff. So, like, I we just quickly wrote this record in six weeks. They learned all the parts. And then we went out to tour. And I was like, yeah, the record's done. Like, here's some songs. Like, and we just bullshitted our way into that. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin, <laughs> if you listen or read this. I was not prepared. But <laughs> luckily, Kev, from, he's the he's just the head honcho of Big Stray Monsters. He just had complete faith in us. And he was just, when we got back, he was just like, yeah, like, we let's do this. What do you have in mind? And then we did the whole record and secrecy thing again. And then I think it was, was what, April, May? May we started, like, releasing videos, I think. We did two videos. And then kind of just, like, we didn't put out anything about when it was coming out or, like, if it was even a full album. And then in June, we were just like, surprise, here's the whole record. Here's vinyl, here's shirts, here's all the merch. But pretty much we did the same thing that we did with the first record, but just with more with more push this time with our, with our label. Because we, we got onto a a pretty small DIY label called Old Press Records for our first for our first album. And that was like after it came out, like six months later. So this time we had like a get bit more of a push. We made a Twitter. We had help making merch and stuff this time. So just a lot of secrecy and a lot of just winging it, honestly. <laughs> well, it's really rad how it like all came together so kind of like organically and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Very like, because obviously three years of nothing, finding no one, like because I jammed with some people before and they were just like, you know, this this is moving too slow, or it's like, let's announce it right now, and just, we'll just put up a phone recording, or like, you know, and then Eli and Natasha were just like, no, let's take our time, when it's ready, it's ready. Like, they're just super patient with me and my, my <laughs> procrastination. <laughs> That's awesome. And then when it was time, you know, I would be like, all right, here's six songs, learn them all, and then like, because of course, I would write like a chunk of the record, and then not do anything for a week, and then write four more songs, and that was kind of the process. <laughs> nice. Um, and... That's like must be like a really different writing process than like the first album because I'm pretty sure in a couple of the interviews that I read or listened to, you mentioned that like at least one or two of the songs were 
like years old at that point and even from like kind of other projects and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there are a few. Um, so what's the intro song called? Uh, Curtains Down. I wrote that one initially with like a band that I was in Kansas City, so like at least five years ago. And I just kind of rewrote a, a few verses to it because I, I just really loved it and I never had a chance to like record it. So I did that. And I think No Loitering was, yeah, No Loitering was also from that time. And I was like, these songs are just, I love them so much. I would love to see what you guys do to them. And I was like, okay, yeah, now we definitely have to put these on the record. And that's really awesome how like, it, it kind of came together from the past too. And I, I remember like probably years ago, maybe when like, the Wonder Years Suburbia came out, or maybe The Greatest Generation, um, seeing an interview with Dan um, saying how kind of writing is almost, like, easier for him because it's basically just kind of updating listeners on what happened in the last, like, year or two of his life. Is that, like, a, kind of a similar experience for you? Yeah, I mean, I try to have, like... So my first love, like, before, before music was filmed, so, like, I try and have, like, a whole, like, narrative story arc. Like, I think instead of just writing a bunch of songs and I'd like piece the album from there, what I'll do is like start a Google doc with the album title. Cause that's what I figure out the album title first. And then like I, instead of like a song name or I just put like the idea and then kind of order it in like the arc that I want to go. And then I'll actually start writing the songs. So it definitely is like part of my life and what I want the entire theme for the record to be. Cause the, you know, there could be a song that doesn't fit the theme that I just stopped there. Just didn't put on there. Cause I didn't think it really meshed with everything else. And, I mean, I think it's really cool the way, obviously, like, the album starts with the reprise of the last album. Um, Thank and you. And that's not, that's not something that I've, like, seen before. Like, a couple records, like, this year and maybe in the last couple of years kind of started the same way that – or ended the same way that they finished. So they're, like, yeah. kind of capable. But um, <clears throat> yeah. starting it so that you – if you listen to the both albums in a row, that it's, like, kind of one experience. Um, it's a pretty cool thing, in my opinion, like, having Thank that you. idea kind of come about. Honestly, just for my love of Coheed and Cambria, do you, do you listen to them at all? Uh, I mean, I know the one song that was on Rock Band. That's about okay. Um, I think that's Welcome Home. So they have, yeah, yeah. they've been around for like 17 years, I think, and they have this repeating motif, motif, how do you pronounce it? Motif that they've used like almost on every album. And it's, and like in an interview, he's like, this like signifies the passing of time. So like, just like my little prog rock, prog rock heart, just being like, oh, I love that little idea that all of these albums are connected somehow and this motif will come in like on one record it's just guitar on one record they do it with like a like a four-piece and uh cellos violins all that and then one it's just like vocals so just like reusing the same idea and making it really cool so and this band called dance Gavin dance which started out they had a rocky start being like a scene <laughs> band but they're like one of the best most consistent bands i've ever heard in recent years and they'll have songs like one will be called the, the robot with human hair and there's like parts one through four and it's like the death of the robot and the, the rebirth of the robot and in an interview he was like yeah like I'll just go back to the last song pick out like a riff that I really liked and then just make a whole new song out of that riff so all these like six songs are connected somehow from the last one like a, like a game of seven up or something but yeah just wanting to like do that little proggy thing and just let people know that this is a continuation of the last story type thing yeah that makes a lot of sense um, and I know you mentioned in the past too how like kind of prog rock and hip hop are kind of have been like your main uh listening habits. Uh yeah. so like before the suburbs came out. Um has yeah. that kind of changed since now that you're like kind of more involved in like the punk and emo scene? Has has that kind of like added into your uh rotation a little bit more? Uh no, like I I feel like I probably listen to punk and emo less now. Also just like when you're booking <laughs> you know, a, a tour which takes months and, like, you're just spending all day on Bandcamp and Spotify listening to local bands, you kind of just, like, want to shut off emo for the rest of your life. Like, <laughs> listening to, like, literally just hours and hours of bands in Louisville and then hours and hours of bands in Memphis. So I just feel like I need something different. So just putting on, like, R&B is just, like, my my relax and, like, come back down to earth moment because I hate booking so much. You've talked about kind of how a lot of your writing process is kind of, like, hearing like a chord or something that you haven't heard before mm -hmm. or that you haven't used before and being like, yeah. oh, I want to try to make a song out of that or like how for this album specifically you mentioned like doing things that you've never done on guitar and experimenting around a little yeah. more. Um, I was actually listening to an interview yesterday. Um, I think it was on the Better Off podcast with Steve Albini. 
Um, mm. And he said that he kind of stole this from another engineer friend of his, um, that he does like one, at least one thing every session that he's never done before. So I thought that was kind of ah. like an interesting uh, that you guys both kind of do a similar thing. Um, how has that yeah. kind of like affected um, your writing? Um, I, it's made it harder. <laughs> uh, just like, you know, especially being now that we're like, I moved here and I would go to a few shows, but now that it's like we're playing a show every month, every few weeks, or going to one because of our friend's band, I'll just like, I'll be looking at their pedal board while they're playing now instead of like listening sometimes. I'll just mm-hmm. be like, what is, what is that effect that you use on this song? Or it's like, oh man, they did a really cool thing here. And just, this, it's the same thing like times 12 now, where I'm just like, I haven't done that. I haven't heard that. What was this chord? Especially now when I listen to so much more R&B and just seeing how complex R&B is, like when you don't even think about it. Like I think a lot of people think R&B is just like, I made a loop and then like I sang in a falsetto and that was it. But if they're like, <laughs> some of the chords I see in R&B songs are harder than anything I've ever, ever played before. So just more so it's just me trying to experiment still more than before. Because for the first mm-hmm. record, I was like, okay, I have to be, if we're an emo band, we can't do anything outside of that. And, like, I just believed that until, like, I heard Bass Action and they just, like, perfectly mixed emo and R&B. And I was like, well, well, shit, why can't I do something like that? So now I'm just trying even more to just do something that I haven't done before. That's awesome. I feel like it definitely comes through in the music that there's, like, all these different influences rather than kind of, like, rehashing um, the ones that a lot of other bands are kind of doing. Thank you. And I'm curious, too, like, I feel like a lot of kind of like the newer bands that I've listened to. And I definitely remember like when Modern Baseball was around, seeing a couple of interviews where people would say like, oh, you remind me of this band. And they'd be like, that's cool. We've literally never heard them before. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you get that a lot too, especially because yeah. of like the kind of roots of your influences and listening habits. Like how does that kind of, what do you think about that? Like the idea that like your music sounds similar to these other bands but like that—that's not anything you've ever listened to before. It's so—it's weird in a cool way because then I'll obviously I'll be like, well, now I need to listen to this band, and I'll either be like, oh, I hear what they're saying, or I'll just be like, I don't, I don't see it at all. <laughs> but it's—it's it's really different because you wouldn't expect people to be like, oh, like you remind me of a uh, Turnover or something, and I'm just like, I don't know who that is, but I'll listen to them, and it's just like, wow, okay, like now that there's this whole new music that even though existed, and it's just really. It's just really cool just to be just to see what people think, you know, like in a non like harsh critical way, like to just mm-hmm. see what what when they hear us, what pops up in their head. It's just really amazing to see everyone's different answers. And I remember I read in um, one of the interviews you did about the suburbs of my life. You were saying basically that like the most important thing to you was having good bars and kind of everything else in writing was like secondary. Um, yeah. Did that, did that kind of hold true coming into this album? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I would just, I, I, I kind of had that that fear of like, am I gonna be able to top my first album? Because you know, I, I had years to write the first record. I, I wrote it at like 22, where I was like my most angry, and I was like, and I, everyone was just like, oh man, like these songs are so good. You're so angry, and like that would be the repeating theme. And I just was like, can I write something that's not angry and still be just as good, if not better? So, but also wanting to just like better bars harder punchlines like like just like a rapper would just be like trying to like have every opening line just be immediately like catches your ear or just immediately ridiculous to where you're just like what did they say so just trying to approach it like i need to do better than last time but also not lose my mind in the process <laughs> yeah i mean there's definitely like uh i guess i would call it maybe like a lyrical density <laughs> to the band it's kind of like, <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> once it's like a train like once it starts going you can't really stop um could you like talk a little bit more about kind of like that style and how you like developed it i just man just just from talking shit honestly just from talking <laughs> some shit and then like because it used to be i would just write so many so many words so many verses and then like when i kind of like got more into learning about song structure like and not just cramming everything I can into like a three minute song and like actually structuring it and being like, Oh, well, a bridge would be good here. Like actual pacing yourself. is that's what I had to learn. So it used to be, I'd write like, I'd write like eight, eight verses. And I was like, there's no way the song is going to be under six minutes long. And then I would actually <laughs> like write the song. I would play a seven minute song back when I was just an acoustic artist. And it would just be like, I can tell that I'm losing people right now every second. <laughs> so it was a lot of dialing that back. 
And then just again, from like, from movies, just like show, don't tell. So like learning about exposition and how to just like say a lot in a little bit of time. And then going back to rap, saying a lot with a lot of ridiculous bars that catch your attention and also a little bit of time. So it just kind of went from doing too much and then just like, like, you know, what's that quote? Like, a, how do you sculpt? Like you get a giant, a giant stone and you chip away everything that's not what you have in mind. So just going mm-hmm. from there, which it took a long time. I think I've been writing lyrics for 11 years now. And it just, I feel like the last three years where I finally felt like I know what I'm like hundred percent doing and not just like, well, this one isn't that great, but everything else is fine. Like I'm happy with every part of a song and learning that I can have the music complement the song and not just be the backdrop. I can mm-hmm. do a little like lick here and there instead of just having to stuff that part with like all these words. So, yeah, just learning sure. to pace myself. Yeah, I think that's really cool that you can kind of like track that progress along the way and stuff too. Um, yeah. And you mentioned like kind of chipping back at stuff like the game vocals and like New Year's resolutions and I spent the winter writing songs about getting better. They're like so kind of like simple, but like so powerful at the same time. And I think that thank you. Those are like standout moments on the album too. In addition to like oh, the you. really thick lines that you guys have. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that was the goal because the last record, I think, I I I, harm, I did harmonies on almost every song. I I tried to put gang vocals everywhere. And this time I was just like, I can do less with more. Like places where you think that gang vocals should be. I can just not do that and put like a really sick guitar part instead or like keys or something. So thank you. That was definitely the goal this time around. As far as like the lyrical content and you being like so open and personal with your lyrics, um, is there like anywhere that you kind of like hold back a little bit or like where do you kind of like draw the line with what you include versus what you don't? Uh, No, like I I roasted my own family. There's no going, there's nothing (laughs) past that. Um, Really because I don't have too many like second drafts. Like once I write something, like it, it, I don't really change it. Like that's it. I think mm-hmm. maybe like the most thing I'll change is like the song title. <laughs> that's where I have the most like because ASAP Rocky type beat was originally going to be called the Hippocratic Oath. And I was like, oh, but that's like our first single. I want it to be something that people are just like, why is this called this? So I just that, that's what I'll like think of mostly now. But just for I don't know. I can't think of anything where I've just been like, oh, I shouldn't write that. Like I've always just like my first draft is what I go with especially with how I, how earlier I was saying how, like, I'll think of the whole album before I actually start writing it. I'm like, well, this mm-hmm. goes into this narrative, so this has to this has to be it. I'll have, like, oh, a lot of, like, fear of my family hearing it, and then I just have to get over it. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it also makes sense how, like, kind of a lot of the lyrics almost feel like stream of consciousness a little bit, like, especially the way they're delivered as well. Going back to kind of, like, the... As the way you like structure the songs and stuff, um, there aren't. I feel like there aren't that many like true choruses on the album. Like if anything, it's kind of like a modified version of this chorus that like shows progression within the song. Um, could you talk a little okay. bit about like that uh, as far as how it plays into your style? I honestly didn't even realize that until you said that. Like I just tried to think of <laughs> choruses that are just the same thing repeated, and I don't, I can't think of any songs. <laughs> It's, I feel like huh. there was maybe like one or two on the album. I'm not positive, but I was looking through the lyrics today and I was like, oh yeah. yeah. Um, they're really similar here, but there is like a couple slight changes. <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of a single song. Uh, yeah. I guess <laughs> I didn't realize that I did that. I just, it's the same thing where it's just like, I would just wanted to like make a full, complete story. And I guess that unconsciously melded into the courses being different from each other and continuing the story instead of being like, a hook that you could just repeat every time. And I, I know, and I think it was in at least one of the press releases that I got sent out, um, you mentioned, like, that part of the, like, your goal in the album, or, like, part of what you were trying to say in the album was, like, finding beauty in vulgarity. Um, oh, yeah. Could you kind of, like, expand on that a little bit? And, like, has there been any kind of, like, backlash in that regard? Surprisingly not. I guess just... I just, I'm just a vulgar man. I, um, <laughs> like, I, I've always kind of been, like, I excelled in school, like, but when I cared. So I would, like, already not want to be there. And then people would think that I wasn't very intelligent because I just didn't apply myself. Like, I was a C student and fine with it. You know, I was just like, I don't, I don't want to be here. I'm fine. So everyone just, like, kind of treated me like I was dumb. So then I just kind of, like, believed that I was dumb and just kind of, 
Like, I was that guy who was, like, fucking, uh, yeah, and then I fucking, like, every, it was just my sentence filler. And then I realized, you know, I'd play some older songs people, and they'd be like, oh, but, like, where's the metaphors? Or, like, you're so blunt, like, don't you want some type of, like, mystique? And I would always be like, no, like, this is how I feel. I don't think I need, like, you know, a simile or anything. Like, I don't need to be the next Shakespeare. And I think a lot of people <laughs> try really hard. First, like, that meme where you see it's, like, about like straight white dudes writing poetry and how it's always just like my ex and cigarettes and like blue light and stuff like just being verbose for no reason. I just felt that that was very not me. So that was all definitely a worry because it's, it's so much specific things to my life and how I would say them that like people wouldn't, I guess, relate at all. But I think it's just honest that I, I, I couldn't see myself like trying to drop some Shakespeare bars to get my point across. <laughs> it just never felt... Because, you know, when I was younger, like, I gave into that pressure and tried to write that way. And, like, I would end up writing, like, some Lot of Speed type shit that just wasn't... I love Lot of Speed, <laughs> but it's just not me. Like, I'm not calling people darling, and I'm not talking about the smoke <laughs> on the grass and stuff. So I just I just felt like, it, it, you know, just be myself and just see how people react to it. Which, luckily, there has been not much backlash, I don't think. Nothing comes to mind as far as my vulgarity goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Um, so there's not, not going to be any these and those on the next proper record? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll um, see. I, I feel like the kind of like the closest that you kind of get to that is the end of the title track um, during your kind of like two and a half minute monologue where you're, you're kind uh, of talking about like, oh, like the, I need to remember like this is like the perfect time to do exist and like kind of stuff like that. Um, could you yeah. talk to me a little about, about how like that, like whole kind of like that section of the song came together and how it really ties up the record? Yeah, that was actually the last song I wrote for the record. So we went to tour with 13 out of 14 songs done. And I told, you know, I told the label like there might be one more. I'm not sure about it yet. And I just remember watching Mac Miller's funeral and that got me into like learning how to play some of his songs and just being like, I, I think I want like a more R&B outro. Because I think it was really, it was going to be Toby, which is, which is, you know, it's fine. But like, I, I was just like, there could be more. So that, you know, song gave him the part. I wrote the first half and then I just kind of, we recorded it. And I was just like, yeah, there's going to be a second half. We'll record it eventually. And I just put it off. And I wrote it like three days before it's time to get into the studio. So I was literally like, I was like Drake, like reading it off my phone, trying not to cry. <laughs> it was like still so new to me. Like, you know, so it's just, I don't know. I think a lot of people, especially with, you know, America and shit right now, like <laughs> it's hard to forget that like we're in like the highest educated time in human history, the lowest, you know, the lowest dropout rate, the lowest child infant mortality rate. Like things are looking up, but it's just like with this 24 hour news cycle where everything is just like, look at this bad shit though. Like you just kind of forget about the good things. So, like, especially with the first half of that song, I was like, okay, like, I need to, because there's just going to be a downer. And I was like, I need to turn this around. This is the title track. I need to do something better about it. So just trying to, like, for me, all the time, I have to remind myself how much good things happen to me. And I just mm -hmm. think that that's the whole point of the record. Like, sometimes you can't see it. It's just like, am I letting my childhood self down? And just remember what you have. Like me and my partner have been together for eight years and we love each other and we've been successful in the city for, for five years. Like just trying to remind yourself of things that you have and that even if you're not there yet, you can keep trying and hopefully get there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that like the whole kind of like message behind that really like speaks to me too because like a lot of the things I've been dealing with in like the past maybe like year or so or whatever, like mm -hmm. once my kind of like mindset has started to change, you know, it's like that has been what's made like the biggest difference. It's like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, okay, something shitty happened today, but overall, it was a good day. Like, I still, you know, hung out with my girlfriend, yeah. like, whatever, like, kind of exactly. letting the little things and the good, like, little good things be what determines, like, how yeah. things are going rather than the minor setbacks and stuff. For or sure, yeah. Yeah, I used to be that guy where it's like one thing would go wrong and then my whole day would be ruined. I'd be like, it's, it's fucking 1 p.m. Like, I'm going to be this mad until tomorrow morning. Like, so I just really <laughs> have to look at myself and just like, like just affirmations, like every, like not even like mantras, like getting my chakra in order, but just being like, you know, look at what you have, look at what you, you were homeless five years ago and now you're in New York thriving. 
chill out, Eric. You'll be fine. Like, just having <laughs> to do things like that all the time. For sure. And you mentioned before when we were talking about, like, kind of like you cutting down some of the songs because they're like eight, six minutes, eight minutes, 11 verses and stuff. Yeah. Um, with the title track being, like, that, I think it's like six to seven minutes, um, was there anything that you had to kind of, like, cut off out, off of that? Or was that, like, kind of just, like, the genuine way it came out? Yeah, for that one, that one, the the, the the entire plan for that one was to be like some epic seven minute album ender. The one I had to cut down on was, I had to cut down on Lime Green, Jerry Curl, and White Cheek because I just wrote so much. I was just in my feelings and I wrote so much mean shit and I was like, I can't do this. So those are the two <laughs> that I had to be like, all right, let's not go there and let's not, let's just like you said what you have to say. Why do you have five more verses written? So those two I had to be like, well, what's the best one? What What gets the narration across the best? And then I'm curious, could you, like, talk a little bit about the role of, like, humor in your music? Um, like <laughs> the line, what do you call a guy who doesn't give the expect stay at head, you don't, is, like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I guess just because I started out, you know, metal, which, you know, you're angry if you're in a metal band. Like, at, at 16, 17, 18, you're already angry. Then you play metal, all black, clothes playing in some bar in Mississippi, so I'm mad. And then I transitioned to folk punk, which is, you know, just <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I just realized, like, you know, people would be like, oh, like, I like that one song. I'm like, oh, well, why didn't you like these other songs? It's like, oh, you're just kind of preaching at me for your whole half-hour set. So for for one, it was sort of like a tactical thing where I was just like, you know, who learns anything by being yelled at, by being put down upon, be, being made to feel stupid? So it was that. And then, like, a second thing, I was just like, you know, like, my favorite, my favorite artist, like they imply humor. Like next, you know, I'm, I'm crying when I was just laughing at this funny line, or like like a Taika Waititi film. There's this really good film called Boy, and it's just like super super funny. And the next thing you know, I'm just I'm just bawling, and I just didn't see it coming. So it's, I just think it just feels more genuine. That's how life is. It's not just like you can't just be angry all the time. You can't mm-hmm. just like get your message across by screaming in someone's face. So why not make it humorous? I'd like to think I'm pretty funny. I'd like, you know, I don't have the courage to do stand up, but why not like see if this line gets a laugh or not? So just more mm-hmm. experimenting and trying to like get the message out there without it just being like a, a bullhorn in someone's ears. Where does the pickle shot clip from no, no loitering come from? <laughs> oh, um, so we just got a bunch of friends to come in and, and talk and tell us a party story. But the pickle shot one was from whose story was that? Uh, pretty sure it was Lily from the band Long Neck. Because um, we had, I think we had, so obviously me and my bandmates, and then we had about four or five people come in to help out with gang vocals, and then we everyone we said one at a time, just like tell us a party story within thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, it was Lily from Long Neck. She plays guitar and adult mom also. She's very talented, very good. That's awesome. I, I would have sworn, like, the voice sounded so familiar. I would have sworn it was from, like, a sitcom or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wish if we can get some type of clearance for, like, a, a sitcom snippet. You also, like, you're obviously very self-referential to, like, mm-hmm. the previous album, but also, you know, you guys have pay a lot of, like, homage to, like, other bands and um, stuff like that. Yep. Is that more, like... Like, for example, like, um, naming the album, I was writing songs about getting better and, um, like, the dancing queen outro. Um, yeah. That, how do those, like, kind of references come into the fold? I guess I just, so like I was saying, before music, my big thing, it still is, my big thing is, is movie, uh, even TV now. It's like we're in the golden age of television. So, you know, I would just, like, get most of my, like, inspiration from, like, a movie scene or a TV show, uh, just like, you know, why don't I just put that in there? Like in Curtains Down, there's a reference to Community, uh, the TV okay. show. I, I was wondering if that was, and then I Googled it and saw that that's like actually a phrase that they use in like yeah. Ireland and the UK. <laughs> so I was like, I was wondering though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Or like, or like in art school, like that first whole verse was just going to be me referencing a bunch of bands and stuff. And then it was just like, it just sounded like a Mad Lib, so I kind of had to like cut it back to a deer in the headlights reference and then that brand new reference where in my mind I was fully making fun of brand new and their fans but people ha- are not getting that joke that's one of those moments <laughs> where the joke didn't land also but just like I don't know movie and TV and film it's just always been a part of me 
and I just it just came naturally to just like reference it and it just mm-hmm. makes for like good out of nowhere rhymes like at the end of the first record uh, on Germany 1991 the line about this band called uh, The Family Bed and then how we could have a friendship like them because they you were inseparable and then you know making a, a Breaking Bad joke like people always point that out as one of their favorite parts of that song it's just like little things that like for one people have like stuff that they can relate to and like feel like they can talk to me about at the show and not just music stuff and it's it's just fun to me like I just always love Easter eggs, you know, being into prog rock and metal and stuff, like little Easter eggs, like that Cody and Cameron one I was talking about. I just, <laughs> I just love that shit. I just, I love it. Or like when the gorillas put out like their plastic beach website, interactive game, I just love stuff like that. And I was like, why not? Why, why can't I do that? For sure. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting how, like you mentioned, like those references are one thing that people really latch on to. And then yeah. the other thing that they latch on to are like the super specific references you make to your own life that like no yeah. one could ever truly understand. It's like it's really funny how like those two things are like polar opposites, but they're also like the things that people that stand out to people the most. Yeah, because it'll be like after a show they'll be like, I heard you talk about Breaking Bad. What's your favorite episode? Who's your favorite character? <laughs> also, I cried really hard and like it's just like <laughs> it's always those in between things. There's nothing. There's no like mid- middle ground for that, and I love it. It's the fly episode, right? That's your favorite? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I think it's probably between fly and probably Ozymandias. But it's just, it's because that was just wild from front to front. To the end. Um, and, I mean, throughout the record, you kind of talk a lot about, like, the change in your mentality from kind of, like, viewing the band as a DIY thing to going all in and trying to make it a career. Um, yeah. Were there were there any um, reservations about that, either like personally or like how you would be viewed within like the scene? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, back in November, like we 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 kind of quit the the local New York DIY scene, and I kind of told everyone to fuck off. Um, and in no short words, like I literally was just like fuck this, I'm out. And just realizing that like my entire life, I've always wanted to be like bands like Saint Vincent or or Blood Orange or Code and Cambria, like these, or, or even Fall Out Boy, like these bands that are just like, have no right, but they did it. Like they made it outside of their very specific like scene and just are thriving. Like I always wanted to like follow Tyler, the creator's trajectory so badly. Just like, it's amazing. He's on his fifth record and it's his first number one and he beat DJ Khaled. And it's just like this guy who just like has a pretty DIY ethos, made all of his videos, made all of his clothes, made all of the merch, designed everything. And he's like album number five and just still hasn't even peaked yet. Like, and I realized that DIY is kind of limiting for that. Cause like for D I love DIY. Don't get me wrong. DIY and emo, it's great, but it's always just like you're booking a tour. It's just like, okay, like all house shows when we'll get a donation for the band. And it's like, you know, I'm almost 30. Our oldest <laughs> member is 34, 35. And it's just like, we're not at that age where we can just live off of DIY donations and that we really want more than that anyway. Like, yeah, I would love a song on the radio. Yeah. I would love to be on TV. Like it's weird that that's frowned upon or like how a lot of DIY bands that this joke I saw on Twitter was uh, your favorite DIY band announces their record on February or on Monday and then announces their breakup on Wednesday. It's just like, <laughs> I just don't, I don't know. I just can't vibe with that anymore. And especially with the whole like cancel cultural and like, all these like liberal white people from upstate that are in charge of all this stuff. It's just not for us. And I just, I don't know. It's a whole nother thing to get into. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's really good that you're kind of like throwing yourself headfirst into it. Like that almost yeah. makes it kind of like easier for people to either get the fuck out or be like, this is awesome. And I support them on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to call me a sellout. Easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it definitely seems like you guys still have that like DIY mentality, like um, curtains down. We say like, if one person connects to just one thing we say, then that's enough for me because yeah. we're not just here to get paid. So it's like, yeah. you do still kind of like, have that going for you as well. Like, Thank you. Yeah. Like I, I would like some money. I would like a check, <laughs> yeah. but I'm also great that someone's vibing to this. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess kind of this connects into what we've been talking about, like, could you talk a little bit about like the idea of and like the frustration of there being like gatekeepers in DIY, which is like basically a space that like, isn't supposed to have them? Yeah. Um 
it's always it's always the kids that are like from a suburb or from Long Island and like these safe white people that come here and they're just like fight the power, fight the man, but also I'm going to work at a at a tech startup that doesn't have any black or brown people and I'm going to move into a brand new apartment complex in, in a safe neighborhood, which means all the black and brown people got kicked out. And it's just like, that was the scene I got stuck in when, you know, these last few years that I told them all to fuck off. And I just, I just realized like, why is this guy from fucking Yale telling me who I can and can't play with? Why are they saying, you know, like, Hey man, we need a diverse build, which all want to play. And it's like, I know they meant well, but it's just like, Hey, that's kind of fucked up to say, like, why am I still having these run-ins living in New York? It's like, I moved so far. I moved a thousand miles and I'm doing the same thing. And it just feels like in most emo scenes, it's all, you know, cause it's, it's a college age genre. So it's like all these transplants of people that aren't from here taking over the venues. Like I talked to some, all these people that I know that live here and they're just like, yeah, like these, these yuppies came in and they don't, and they asked us to get them on shows and then they stopped asking us to play. And now we're just kind of like outcasts in our own city. And I'm just like, damn, like I, and I contributed to that obviously because I didn't know any better. So just trying to get it, get out of that. And like now, like we have this whole scene where it's a bunch of black and brown, queer, trans, non-straight white men dominating it. And it's just like, like I see it, it's like night and day. Like I can play a show with a rapper and everyone's just like, I don't know. Like I, I would rather, like it's just two more emo bands in the same bill that we see every weekend. And like now I can play a show with a rapper and it's just like, this was great. What, this was such a cool night. And there's a DJ set afterwards and it's just so much more, I guess, genuine. It's more authentic to just be like, I can set the rules. Why don't I? Like, I'm, we're starting to get to that point where we have the power to just be like, we're not going to play if you, if you can't guarantee that they're going to be more than just us. <laughs> like, we're not the <laughs> only other band. So it's just kind of like the learning process of realizing that DIY can be better and that mm-hmm. I have every right to try and make it better and just making building a team of people that also see that. So I don't want to leave it behind altogether. Like, it's going to be here with or without me, and I would like for it to be in its best and most purest form just gatekeepers need to go rich white kids from the suburbs need to not be the ones in charge like it's just a whole list of demands that like need to change that luckily they are changing though it just i think it should be happening faster i am grateful for the progress that we have it's just i'm an impatient bastard (laughs) it's awesome that you do like you said like that you're kind of starting to feel more, more and more people are starting to feel empowered to do that and follow what they think Rather than like you know like yeah you said like you said it's great like saying we need a, we want a diverse bill so we're going to ask you to do that but it's even better for that not even to be part of the question for it to just be like mm-hmm. you're part of the bill like we want you to be part of the yeah. bill because you're rad and you just happen to be diverse and like we yeah. know we have this you know rolodex of all these rad bands and fifty percent of them happen to be you know non-white cis people because yeah. That's just because that's like the way it is. Like that would be the yeah. like, end goal, like for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it always be like low effort, like you know, like they didn't go and look for any other bands. So they were like, hey, do you guys want to play, or do you know a band that's not straight white dudes? It's like I know that you can look this up yourself. Like I know that you guys know these things. It's just just low effort from the people in charge. I I think I just think it should be more effort and more like thoughtfulness. For sure, and and like that process of kind of like empowering the people who aren't in charge instead of, you know, saying, I'm in charge, so I'm going to make sure that I do good. Yeah, yeah, because then for the people, like, people like us, like, bands like us, they'll just feel like, how did you do this? Or, like, can you, like, help us get a show? They're like, oh, I know it's tacky. I'm sending you my song. I'm like, no, like, fucking send it to me. I I want you to. I want to hear what other people like me have to say and and contribute, and I would be honored to get you set up with a show. And, like, I'm, I'm always just, like, any questions you have, let me know. And, like, because we're getting to that point where people are like sending fan mail and they're like surprised that I respond, which is such a weird <laughs> trip. It's amazing. And I'm just like, no, of course, like, this is great. This, th- I feel amazing that you, that you feel this way. Tell me how I can help you. I would love to any way that I can. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Like building like that community. And it, that's funny. That actually goes back again to the, the Steve Albini interview. I was listening to that. I mentioned he was saying mm-hmm. after he did in utero, he kind of saw a lull in, like the local bands and like the independent bands, which were kind of his bread and butter because of the way yeah. he worked. Like he saw alone that because everyone just assumed that he was too big for them now. <laughs> so it's like okay, yeah, which is such a weird thing. Like you know, because 
obviously hero worship is bad and like meeting your idols could be terrible but like i'm i'm just of the thought that you should like why not try and like you know just not even like hey i'm gonna stalk you just be like hey i just want a quick message i love your record i love your art i love your movies whatever and you know if you get a response that's great if not like try not to take it personally because obviously like my entire life is just like trying to hit up my idols <laughs> and getting ignored <laughs> and just like rationing away it's like well they don't know who i am yet but hopefully they will soon and like you know finding that healthy balance of just like because i just read this article from like you know like Phoebe Bridgers and, like, George from Camp Cope being, like, how do you deal with, with fans wanting to talk to you? And, like, the, the one spectrum was just, like, oh, yeah, I tried to get back to everyone. The other spectrum was, like, fuck it, I don't owe you anything. And I just think, you know, finding the perfect in-between, and especially, like, being in the drama that we are, when people like me, I'm like, yes, I want to hear you. You're in a black emo band, punk band. Please send it my way. Like, I would love to hear that. Hey there. As part of this podcast, I'd like to promote people who I think are doing cool things, in addition to those I interview for the show. For the first handful of episodes, I will be shouting out other podcast creators that I've taken inspiration from in the creation of this podcast. Today, I want to share my appreciation to Ron Funches and his podcast, Getting Better. Ron Funches is a stand-up comedian, actor, and overall ray of joy. His podcast is all about self-improvement and has been a major influence in helping me personally change my mindset for the better. Even if you're not familiar with him or the guests on a particular episode, all of his conversations are full of gems and general advice and positivity. His genuine confidence and can-do attitude are the main reason I decided to start this podcast and had the drive to follow through. So please check out Getting Better with Ron Funches. Just to kind of start, sort of start to wrap things up, um, could you yeah. tell me about like one of like a recent success and a recent challenge that you guys have faced as a band? Um, uh, I guess challenge would be booking this tour i mean we did two <laughs> european tours back to back and we've never done a full u.s tour and it's just like i don't know to date it's like when it's like when me and my wife first came to new york and then had to go back to kansas it's like oh man like touring europe is just a whole nother level that is just like it's just mind-blowing and then going back to diy shows so like i made the conscious effort to be like i'm going to put in the effort it's not just gonna be a bunch of diy shows i'm gonna like say that we want to get paid this much, we want this band. Just being in control. So a lot of DIY bookings being like, hey, if you could like, if you could spare me like a slot on something, and me just being like, this is what we want. This is how what we can do for you. What we want you to do for us. And just having that, I guess, just getting that big dick energy of just like being acting like I'm a big band and that I can just demand these things and that it'll like go well. And it surprisingly has. It's a full 30 day tour. Obviously, it still took about three four months to book, but just like you know, not having that security that I don't have to like shake the promoter down to get paid or settle up at the end or just being like, you know, we're going to make this much. And, you know, we have a guarantee of this and a place, not just like playing a, a basement, asking for a place to stay, trying to make that transition, you know, because it's like one thing to be like, oh, I don't want to be DIY as much anymore. But it's another thing to like actually pursue it. So it's like now we're like trying to find a booking agent and like realizing that I don't have to do everything myself and pull my hair out and my bandmates hair out. And just, like, just transitioning to, like, being, like, a professional, quote-unquote, band and just, like, realizing that it doesn't have to be me against the world. But that would be literally the challenge and the success would be just this <laughs> yeah, just like, That's right. That's really awesome. Uh, one of my favorite recent podcasts that I started listening to is uh, Getting Better with Ron Funches. Great comedian, by the way, if you don't know him. So he ends every episode asking for either a piece of advice or something that you've just been thinking about. Uh, whether it's related to music or DIY or just like your life in general. Um, so I want to just kind of steal that from him and uh, okay. ask you to kind of do the same kind of reflection. That's a hard question. This is something I could have offered to people, I guess. It's that, because I've always just been, I don't want to say like anti-school, but I've never been that guy where I'm just like, I need to go to college. I need to like, I've always just been like, I want to learn how to edit videos. So I'll just Google it. Like, I think we put a lot of stock into getting a higher education or like we shame community colleges and we shame like blue collar jobs, like being a plumber or an electrician when like they can make six figures like the first year out. I just think the same thing goes with like with music. You don't have to have a manager if you don't want to. You don't have to pay to play if you especially don't pay to play. You don't have to do all <laughs> these things that people tell you that you have to do. 
they're like shows with like you have to sell a hundred tickets before we guarantee you like we especially with like the internet age we just live in this time where like you can do something you can set out to do it and you can do it your own way and and not compromise like we're on a, we're on a label that I've liked for 20 years now and I I, I tell them no so often <laughs> like you can it doesn't matter what they can do for you you can tell anyone no and or you can come to a compromise you can be unflinching in your goals and you can take as much time as you need to the internet creates so many possibilities and so many ways to learn and challenge yourself and be better. So I guess that's why what, what I think about a lot is just the internet and how it's just changed society and what, how we would be without the internet, where we would be without it. So it's just mm-hmm. a mix of seeing the tools that are available to you and just, just using them and just thinking, I have a goal, research it, spend as much time as you need to, and then implement it. And even if you fail, just start a new goal and just see what you can improve on from last time. For sure. Yeah, I've got two things to say to that. First yeah. is Ron Punches always says, you're going to nail it. So I probably should have start with, started with that, and you did nail it. Oh, that's it. great. Thank <laughs> and, you. Uh, <laughs> and, and second is, I've heard it said a few times at least, uh, DIY doesn't mean do it yourself. It means decide it yourself. And I feel like that really Ooh. loops into what you were saying. <laughs> okay. I never heard that, but I'm going to start saying that now. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, like, like you said, there's – the power is in your hands. It's at your fingertips. You can choose to have a manager or not. Like you can yeah. choose to pay for play or not. Like you can. All this stuff is all. It's fully. The point of DIY is that you can do whatever you want. So yeah, it might it take a little longer. It might be a little harder, but you you can do it. And it'll likely be worth it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there you have it. Episode one of Fly on the Call is in the bag. Thank you so much to Eric for taking the time to talk and Jamie Coletta of No Earbuds for helping to set this up. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out the band's new album and catch them on tour if they are coming to your area. Links to their music, tour dates, and more are all in the show notes. I'd like to extend a special thank you to The Alternative for helping to promote Fly on the Call and Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song. You can check the show notes for where to find each of them, Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at flyonthecallpod and email feedback, suggestions, or greetings to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Every Monday, I will be posting a picture hinting at who this week's guest is. The first person to guess correctly will be able to hear the episode early, so please follow along. Thank you for listening, and talk to you soon. Fly on the I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.